Our scriptures today come from uh, the book of Genesis. We're going to read verses 1 to 15 uh, from Genesis chapter 45. This is God's word. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon him. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is God's word. Father, we thank you that you speak through your word. So I pray that you'd speak through your servant now, Father, through the instrument of your word, uh, through the foolishness even of preaching, Father, uh, to change our hearts for the sake of the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Over the past weeks, uh, if you've uh, been with us, you'll know that uh, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph is the last and uh, the longest narrative uh, that you read in the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is really, at least the second half, is really about uh, the story of how God chose to enter into a special or unique relationship with one particular family. You see this relationship uh, begin in Genesis 12 where God comes to his servant Abraham and says, I am going to make you into a great nation. I am going to make you into a nation that is so large you outnumber the stars that are in the sky. And as we've seen, you're tempted to think that God chose them because they were a family that had it all together or a family that was particularly righteous. But if you look very closely, you'll see that this family is the very definition of a dysfunctional family. 
They are an absolute mess, full of sexual deviants and swindlers and cheaters. They are an absolute mess. It's a wonderful reminder for all of us that God doesn't choose to enter into a relationship with us because we are righteous. He chooses to do it because of his grace. So God promises to make this family into a great nation. But at the end of the book of Genesis, God's promise is threatened. It's threatened by a very severe famine that is in the land that threatens to wipe out this family and wipe out any promise of them becoming a great nation. So the story of Joseph becomes a deliverance story, a story of how God delivers this particular family from death, about how God continues to maintain his promises to this family. It's a story of of God's providence, his sovereign control of sending Joseph ahead of his family in order to deliver them miraculously from this famine, to deliver them from death. And in the story, God becomes the ultimate player, He becomes the one who is secretly working behind all of the scenes to stay true to his promises to love and care for and prosper this family. And as we've seen, it's a reminder to us as well that though God may often seem very hidden in the circumstances of our lives, we can rest assured that he is active and he is present and he is working in all the little details. He is working behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes and his will, even in our own lives. So that really becomes the big story of this narrative, this big story of deliverance, of God stepping into time and space and history to deliver this family from surely uh, from sure death. And we saw that last week, that, that, that this is this great story of deliverance. But as always with big stories, often God is working in smaller stories as well. And what we'll see this morning is God is working in the smaller story of the life of this family. And that smaller story involves a story of personal forgiveness and restoration. We see that today. We see God working in time and space and history to work his great great and grand plan of redemption, to have it uh, unfurled and unreleased in, in time and space. But we also see him working very intimately in our personal lives as well. The gospel works in the big story of human history, but also in the smaller story of our particular lives, bringing forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. So this morning, I'd like to look at that personal or intimate layer of this story. And ultimately, it is a story of forgiveness. And what I'd like to look at this morning is just three quick, very simple things about the nature of forgiveness. One is that forgiveness is a struggle. Two, forgiveness is often very costly. And three, forgiveness at the end of the day is restorative. So the first thing I'd like to look at is how forgiveness can be and often is a tremendous struggle. You see, Joseph, in our story, he had a past that he would have liked to have forgotten. 
He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to mess with it. It was a past that he'd like to leave there in the past. We've seen how he was uh, the favorite son of his father. And because of his favorite status, he chose to uh, exploit that for his own personal gain when he was a child. His brothers hated him because he was the favorite son of his father. And to make matters worse, he began to have dreams as a child. And those dreams uh, symbolized the fact that at some point he was going to rule over his brothers and even rule over his father. The problem is he began to brag about those dreams. He didn't help the situation. He began to brag about those dreams and his brothers had had enough. So they attacked him. They, they threw him in a pit uh, and then they sold him into slavery to Egypt. They went back to their father and they told their father that his son, Joseph, had been killed by a wild animal. They deceived even their own father in this story. And of course, for Joseph, this set off a a roller coaster ride of events in his life. He was sold into slavery to Egypt. He was sold into Potiphar's house where he rose to a very high status in Potiphar's home, only to be falsely accused and then imprisoned as a result of it. His life is this up and down roller coaster of good things that happen to him versus awful things that happen to him. But as you read throughout the narrative, finally in verse 42, he arrives. He arrives at a place where he has become the most powerful man in all of Egypt. He is the most powerful man, second only to Pharaoh himself. And at this point, he had to begin thinking that all of the pain and the sadness that he'd gone through in his life, all the pain and the sadness that had characterized his life was now behind him. He had arrived at an incredible position of wealth and prosperity. He was now respected. He was now honored by all those people in his life. And for years, Joseph would live this wonderful life this wonderful life of wealth and prosperity, trying as hard as he could to forget all the sadness that had been put behind him. Some think it was probably close to 13 to 15 years of this wealth and prosperity that he was enjoying until one day it all came crashing down. Until one day when his brothers walked into his throne room looking for food. The most painful events of his past, the most painful part of his past had now come to visit him. The wound that he had tried really hard to heal over his entire life was now being reopened by his brothers walking through that door. My, uh, one of my sons uh, is starting uh, basketball season for uh, the first time. He's never played a basketball season before, and uh, his season started uh, last weekend. So we did uh, what, what everyone should do when they're getting ready to, to start a basketball season, is we sat down as a family and we watched the basketball movie called Hoosiers. Has anybody ever seen this before? It's an old movie. I think it was made in the 80s. It's this wonderful movie that just kind of gets you in the mode for basketball and gets you excited for basketball. And it is a basketball movie that tells a great story. 
But there's a deeper story in this movie beyond just basketball. You see, the main character in this movie is a coach. And the coach takes over coaching this uh, small team in this small town because what we learn in the story, he is running from his past. We learn as the movie goes on that his last coaching job was, was in a college uh, coaching position and in a fit of rage and in a, t- in a temper, he uh, hit one of his athletes. Because of that, he was barred from coaching at the college level and he went on a series of jobs and positions where he could run away from his past. That's what brought him to this small town, to a place where nobody would know his story or no one would know his past. But in the end, throughout the movie, what happens is his past ends up finding him. And that's what we see in the Joseph story. His past that he tried so hard to put behind him has now found him and he has to deal with it. The old wounds have been reopened and we are left to wonder how Joseph is going to respond to his brothers. Chapters 42 to 44 all outline Joseph's response and what we learn from his response is that it was very mixed. You see, his brothers enter this throne room and they don't recognize Joseph, which provided Joseph the liberty uh, to think about how he was going to deal with this situation. He had the opportunity now to manipulate and to threaten and intimidate them if that's what he wanted to do. So in chapter 42, we read that he he deals with them roughly. He accuses them of being spies. He accuses them of lying and he throws them into prison for three straight days. And at the end of those three days, he he decides to release all of them except for one of the brothers, for Simeon. And he demands them to go back to their home and to bring back their brother, Benjamin. In spite of all that, he sends them home with food, food that will sustain them in the midst of this famine, and he also sends them back with all their money. So you see this mixed idea of being compassionate and yet at the same time dealing very roughly with them. In verse 43, we learn that several years have passed in the story. Simeon has been rotting in prison for all those years, and the brothers return because they have run out of food. There's no other place for them to go, and they bring their youngest brother, Benjamin. And when they enter into Joseph's presence, they do what? They bow down before him in fulfillment of the very dreams that he had had when he was a child. And it says in verse 30 that at that moment, Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. You see, he afterwards, he throws this lavish meal for them and he sends them home again with food. But in the process, he places a cup in one of the bags in order to frame them for stealing and to force them to come back to Egypt to deal with this issue. So what do we learn from all these chapters? What do we learn from this back and forth? We learn that Joseph is incredibly conflicted over what to do about his brothers. 
He has moments of, of lavish compassion towards them, and he has moments where he wants to punish them as much as he can through fear and intimidation. Well, in the end, verse four, that chapter 45 tells us, in the end, ultimately, compassion wins out, and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and he forgives them in that moment. You see, we can't really understand the power of that moment until we understand the years of conflictedness that that Joseph felt in his heart over three-year period. Joseph seems almost schizophrenic in the lead up to this moment. One minute he is angry and vengeful and in the next minute he is weeping and compassionate. And what it does for us is it highlights well for us what a struggle forgiveness really is. Whenever you and I, whenever we've been wronged, a struggle wells up inside of us in both big ways and in small ways. A struggle wells up inside of us. It is a battle between bitterness on one hand and forgiveness on the other hand. You see, bitterness is a holding on. It is allowing the wrong to fester inside of us. It makes us want to act out in revenge and punish the one who has wronged us in whatever situation it might be. Bitterness takes delight in having the power of guilt and shame that we can hang over the head of one who has offended us. And you see, when when Joseph's brothers showed up, one commentator wrote this. It said, they were bound in the power of an unforgiven past, immobilized by guilt and driven by anxiety. And I'm sure Joseph enjoyed it. He enjoyed, part of him enjoyed seeing his brothers squirm. Part of him enjoyed having the ability to hold guilt and shame over them. After all, they should be punished for what they had done to him. They deserved to be punished for what they did. But in the end, forgiveness won out. Because forgiveness ultimately is letting go. It is the conscious choice that we are no longer going to hold the wrong against the offender in our lives. It is releasing them of that which they deserve in that moment. It says in verse 4, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because God sent me before you to preserve life. So for three chapters over a two-year period, the battle between bitterness and forgiveness raged in Joseph's life. But ultimately, forgiveness won out. How did it win out? Why did it win out? Joseph tells us, because of God. It's because Joseph ultimately saw God in the details of his life. One person wrote, The sovereign character of God's purposes can create a real newness. Friends, we are confronted every day with this choice. 
We are confronted with a choice between bitterness and forgiveness each day as we interact with other people. In fact, all of us could probably sit here right now and identify several people in our lives at this very moment that we are struggling to forgive. We'd rather be bitter. We'd rather punish them or make them revel in their guilt. We experience this struggle every single day. But the only way forgiveness can truly win out is because of God. It's to receive a powerful picture that God is in the details of our lives, even the most difficult ones. But by no means does that make it easy. And we all know that to be true because forgiveness is always a struggle. And the reason it is always a struggle is because there's something else we can see in our passage that makes forgiveness really hard. The thing that makes it so hard is that forgiveness always costs something. Forgiveness at the end of the day is always costly. You see, many make the mistake of thinking that that forgiveness is simply a one-time release and then we can move on to bigger and better things. But true forgiveness is always ongoing. It is a burden that one has to bear for a long time and sometimes a lifetime. And because of that, it is very costly. We read at the end of the story that Joseph eventually brings his entire family into Goshen, which is a a region uh, of Egypt that is over Joseph's oversight. It's a border region. And while his family is there, they will enjoy all the, the wealth and protection of Egypt. They would be given a high honor by virtue of their relationship with their brother Joseph. These conniving and selfish brothers would now enjoy the wealth of Egypt by virtue of their relationship with their brother, the one who they had left for dead early in their lives. And you can imagine that throughout the rest of his life, those thoughts would plague the mind of Joseph. He would have to be thinking day in and day out that these brothers get all this stuff even though they left me for dead. Every time he would see them, he would be reminded of what they did to him. And every day he would be tempted to bring it up and to hold it against them. He could have been tempted to use guilt as a means to manipulate and motivate and control his brothers. But forgiveness for Joseph meant that he would not do all of those things. He would have to live in the tension and struggle of wanting to act in bitterness and justice, but instead choosing not to. And because of that, he would have to bear the burden. He would have to live a life of internal struggle because forgiveness is always costly. Many people, of course, we know, say that they forgive, but then they don't really, do they? They end up holding it against us. They end up holding it over us, and they make the offender carry the burden. 
But friends, this is not what true forgiveness is all about. Because forgiveness means that the offended carries the burden. Because true forgiveness is always costly. Of course, the the ultimate uh, picture of forgiveness that we see in the scriptures is in Jesus Christ himself. The one who carried the ultimate burden of forgiveness on his own shoulders. The scriptures tell us that he carried the burden of sin that should have been placed on our shoulders. The gospel story tells us that because of sin, our relationship with God had become distorted. Because of sin, we bear the burden of the law on our shoulders. We stand condemned before God the Father, but instead Jesus steps in. Instead, Jesus takes the burden. He takes the punishment. The just one ended up being punished. He paid the cost so that you and I could be forgiven. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgiveness means bearing the burden. It means assuming the cost, because we recognize that Jesus bore the burden and assumed the cost for you and I. So we see that forgiveness is a struggle. We see that forgiveness is costly. But finally, we see that forgiveness is restorative. Forgiveness is restorative. Think of all the healing and restoration that came through this one act of forgiveness in the Joseph story. Joseph's brothers are restored to him. Jacob, Joseph's father, has his favorite son brought back from the dead. It's a resurrection story of sorts. His brother's sins have been forgiven. They have their brother Joseph back. This family is transferred from a state of famine and poverty and imminent death to overnight wealth and prosperity. This family will persist. It will live on. It will not be blotted out by famine All of these things happened because of one act of forgiveness on Joseph's part. You see, forgiveness really can have a windfall effect. It can become the first domino that falls, that sets off a restorative chain reaction of events in relationships and families. But it also has a windfall effect on all of us spiritually. Because only through the forgiveness that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ can our relationship with the Heavenly Father ultimately be restored. Because Jesus bore the cost, because he didn't act in bitterness, because he chose to forgive, we can be restored to a right relationship with God the Father. We can be transferred from a place of imminent spiritual death to one of of ultimate spiritual life. We can be transferred from a place of spiritual famine and poverty to a place of spiritual wealth and satisfaction all because of Jesus Christ and his act of forgiveness in our lives.
I think uh, uh, the most powerful story of forgiveness that uh, I've ever heard, uh, and maybe some of you have heard me tell this story before, uh, came from an acquaintance of mine that I met when I was in college. His name was Joel. And uh, I went to college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania is known for uh, its Amish community. And uh, you learn that pretty quickly when you start driving uh, the roads in Lancaster. You see Amish buggies uh, all over the place. And for the first couple of months, it's very nostalgic. And then you become annoyed by them because they're clogging up traffic. Well, uh, Joel's story uh, starts when he was in high school. When he was in high school, he, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, went and uh, played football with some friends. And after the football game, they were driving home and uh, he was feeling what every teenager who just gets his license feels, and that is they feel invincible and they want to enjoy driving the car on these backcountry roads. So uh, he was doing that with his friends in, uh, in a car. And as he's driving along the road, he sees ahead of him an Amish buggy and he says, I'm just going to blow by this Amish buggy on the left. So he does that. He puts his foot on the accelerator and he pulls to the left of the Amish buggy. And in the moment that he does that, he, he says, he literally is a freeze frame. He sees the nose of the horse turn into the car. There's this massive wreck uh, where the car collides with, uh, with this buggy. And what he learns uh, in the next following moments uh, is that uh, there were two people in the buggy Uh, a husband and a wife who had just come from being married. And what he learns uh, throughout the day is that because of this accident, the the wife uh, passes away at the hospital that afternoon. So you can imagine the the feelings of guilt uh, that this young man was feeling in his heart, in his life. How could he go on knowing that because of a careless act that he had done, a, a woman's life was gone and a marriage was ruined. You see, his father was a professor of mine. So this is how I knew the family. And his father was a man of integrity that I knew. And because he was a man of integrity, he told his son that he would have to go to the funeral of this young woman whom he had killed through his careless act. So another Sunday afternoon, he had to go to the funeral of this woman that took place in their home. It was an Amish funeral that took place in their home. And he talks about how he was walking up the front path to attend this funeral and the people inside saw him coming. So one after the other, they came outside, met him before he even got to the house and embraced him one by one, starting with grandparents, then parents, then siblings, and then all the way down to the last person who was the husband of this young woman who was killed. And as he embraced my friend, he said to him, I forgive you. I don't want this to hinder the rest of your life. I forgive you. You see, I'm sure it wasn't easy in that moment for this new husband to be able to forgive my friend. That new husband is going to have to bear the cost and the burden of that for the rest of his life. But his forgiveness restored the life of my friend. 
Friends, as amazing as this story is, it pales in comparison to the forgiveness we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He paid the cost. He gave his life so that you and I could experience forgiveness and be restored to God the Father. Let's pray.